0: You're listening to a Church Doctor production. Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Welcome to this third episode of Mission Possible, how everyday ordinary Christians like you become world changers. In our last episode, episode 2, uh, we talked a little bit about the danger of syncretism, that is the drift into sinking into content and beliefs that are not Christian, the trend toward being liberal, getting away from the hard teachings of the Bible in order to attract more people to the church. And in fact, it works just the opposite. We also looked at the power of contextualization, and that is putting the gospel into the context of the people we're trying to reach. It's an entirely different concept than syncretism, and so the clear distinction between the two is very important. Now, in this episode, episode three, I wanted to go into a story, about a true story, about missionaries Uh, who came to America and were working in North America in the early days of the country uh, to reach the Kiowa Indians, Native Americans called the Kiowa Indians. So, uh, And this is a true story that was told by my mission professor, uh, Peter Wagner, uh, at Fuller Theological Seminary back in the day when I did my doctorate in missions. So this is how it goes. This is a true story from the history of missions in North America starting in the early days after the colonial period. There were some very enthusiastic mission-minded movements to reach the Native Americans for Jesus Christ. Those involved meant well, just as we always do, but had not clearly distinguished between what is style and what is substance. This is the whole contextualization issue. And so this is often a challenge for every generation. It's a challenge for you. It's a challenge for me. It never goes away. It's a challenge for missionaries. So back to the the Kiowa Indians. There was a great mission emphasis to the Kiowa Indians. The missionaries became friends with the Kiowa and began sharing the gospel. Some began showing receptivity. The missionaries said that one of the best things they must do is build a church building because Christians worship in buildings. Secondly, it came time to celebrate the dedication of their new church building, and the missionaries told the Kiowa men they must cut their hair. Why? Because Christians do not have long hair, they said. Then, in preparation for worship, they told the Kiowa men that they must wear shirts and ties. The theory was, Christians dress up to honor God by wearing a shirt and a tie to church, so they said. So, these Kiowa men put on European shirts and ties. The day came For the dedication of the new church, and those from the Kiowa tribe gathered and came into the church for worship. As they entered the church, they saw a beautiful painting on the wall that had been provided by the missionaries. In the painting was Jesus, sitting on an open hillside, (laughs) teaching the crowds, long flowing hair, and in a robe. You see what happens, and it's not funny, really. I mean, it's hilarious, but it's sad. What often goes wrong is that we baptize methods or styles of Christianity that are not substantive. They're not substance. They're just stylistic things. But we make it so important, it sounds like substance. We fail then to keep the main thing the main thing and actually roadblock the mission by perpetuating styles that are neither one hundred percent biblical or nor are they culturally appropriate for the people or the time when we're trying to reach those people. So this leads us to two very important Issues. They are actually distinctives. And these distinctives are summarized as style and substance. And they are very different style and substance. So let's talk first about style. These are issues in the Bible that can and in fact must change. For Christianity to be relevant. For example, getting back to dress codes, Jesus wore sandals and a tunic. It would be a distraction to dress like that when trying to reach 21st century people in Minneapolis, especially in the wintertime. Actually, there's a word for this, and I mean no disrespect to our Amish friends. But it's like Amish Christianity. The Amish have taken the word of God very seriously, but they have also baptized, in quotes, baptized a style of life and made that style of life to seem like it's holy, non-negotiable, or sacred, and therefore unchangeable. I uh, consulted a church once near Amish country in north, northern Indiana, and uh, this uh, church was uh, reaching young Amish uh, young adults. Uh, these young adults would uh, drive their buggies to the church. In fact, one of my recommendations in, under the subject of building and grounds for the church was, along with the parking lot for the cars, they needed to add Places with hitching posts for the uh, Amish young adults that were bringing their buggies. You see, the young adults who had seen a glimpse of the way the normal outside world lives with automobiles and other things, and under somewhat of a tyranny of legalism about you must do this and must do that, which is the same whether you're Amish or whether you're a traditional church superimposing 16th century hymnology upon people that listen to modern Christian music on the radio. It doesn't matter, but in this particular case, the Amish people, these young people were, they had a sl- small revival going on in this church, uh, this regular church that wasn't Amish, but they were reaching these young people, and they were getting a sense for the gospel the good news of jesus christ rather than the law only or the superimposition the imposed style of amish life and so this is easy for those of us who are not amish to point the finger at the amish and see why their younger generations aren't following as as thoroughly as previous generations but it's also an issue with so many churches that have not really differentiated style with substance. And they give the concept, it's a connotation that the, the concept that that the style is sacred. And honestly, from the biblical perspective, it is not. And what it is, is a modern form of idolatry. And there are examples of that. I've heard this in many churches that I have consulted. It doesn't feel like church now that they have replaced the pews with chairs. Or another actual uh, sentence I've heard from really well-meaning Christians that don't get this. The placement of drums in the sanctuary is inappropriate and should never happen. Another one, putting a screen for PowerPoint in worship space, is sacrilegious. Why does our pastor talk about the lobby? We've always called it a narthex, which of course is a word no one uses in modern English language. So this is style, and what's really important is to recognize that The one who made the greatest, dramatic, and amazing change to reach people for Jesus was Jesus, who became, flesh and blood, a human being, still God, but a human being, born in a manger, wore some form of diapers, whatever they had then, messed his diapers, all those things because God wants to reach people right where they are. Jesus looked like, ate, dressed like the Jewish people where he landed. If he had landed somewhere else among the Native Americans, he would have looked like a Native American, tomahawk in hand or whatever. You see the apostle Paul who was an outstanding missionary and is still an outstanding missionary example for us. In 1 Corinthians 9:22 says, I have become all things to all people. To the Jews I became like a Jew, to the Gentiles I became like a Gentile. He said I became all things to all people, didn't transgress the substance but in style easily changing, because I've done all things so that by all means, by whatever means, means, not substance, not message, but means, by all means, some might be saved. So let's talk about substance. These are the issues of content, the content of Scripture that must never change. Now, once you get this straight, it's not that hard. It's not rocket science to go through the scripture and figure out what is style and what is substance. What's harder is when you look at your own life, your own outreach orientation as a missionary, as a missionary type church, as a church that wants to be in mission. That's when it gets harder. It's easier to talk about somebody else. But here's an example of substance. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. So, it would be a distraction. It would hinder, cripple the missionary attempt to reach new people for Jesus to suggest that there are many ways to God, which some sects do. So, What it means to be solid on the substance is something that Christian people call orthodoxy, which means basic thinking or teaching. It shouldn't be changed. But then the style thing is literally called orthopraxy, the practice, and that changes all the time. Confusing the two will submarine Your mission effectiveness. So, when you get away from the basics, the substance, the church suffers from spiritual drift. Christians lose the power for productive mission. And we have some pretty quote unquote sacred, I mean, sacred not in the biblical word, but you know, it's so dear to us, we think it's actually substance some things that we practice that actually hurt the mission of the church. Jesus told us to make disciples, but most churches practice volunteerism. There's nothing biblical. In fact, it's it's a hindrance to the mission and ministry of the church to practice volunteerism. Now, I know that is so sacred, quote, end quote, in some people's minds, probably not going to listen to this podcast anymore. Like, oh, no, that's well, you go find it in the Bible. That's not sacred. Discipling is what Jesus did. And he taught to disciple, and he called us to go make what? Disciples. Nowhere in the scripture does it say, go therefore and make volunteers of all people. A second issue is everyone in the church is a witness to Jesus. Not if they want to, but we replace it by an evangelism committee as if, well, there are five or six people in our church that are nuts enough to do this stuff. So, you know, if they're doing it, cool, we're covered. The church is covered. We get it done. Yeah, we have some kind of outreach. Yeah, we do it. No, there's nowhere in scripture where that's even close. Everyone, that substance, everyone is a witness To Jesus, their Savior. Another issue that is a great challenge to effective mission is the goal of the Great Commission becomes restructured to only be showing love or helping people with their physical needs. I can't tell you how many churches our team at Church Doctor has consulted that has a whiz bang, awesome, wonderful food pantry, but are dying churches. Because they feed people's bellies and allow them to starve spiritually. In other words, they have great food pantry programmatic stuff, which isn't a bad thing. It's a good thing to feed people. But they fail 100% to share Jesus and make it a distinctly Christian effort. And so people are fed, but not led. To Jesus. Another example, the pastor and the staff in most churches are the ones who are seen as the doers of ministry. That is anti-biblical. The people who are the leaders of the church, the pastor and the staff, are specifically called to be equippers of God's people to do the work of ministry. In other words, God's people are to do the work of the ministry. You got a hundred people in your church that know their spiritual gifts and are equipped to do ministry according to their unique gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to them. They can do more ministry in one week than a full-blown staff could do working 80 hours a week, no matter how many people you got on staff. Furthermore, they're the ones that are mingling with the unchurched people that need to be reached. And so, We twist that around and mingle substance as if it doesn't matter the context and the approach that God has given to us. And what happens? Churches decline. Churches die. So here's the point. To become mission effective believers, we must have a rummage sale to offload words and styles and habits that have lost their meaning or are contrary to scripture. Now, this is easy to talk about theoretically, but in reality, this is a tough sell. It may be for you. I get that. That's fair. That's understandable. Jesus, the way it comes from scripture is a tough sell, even for some believers who've been believers for a long time. But here's what happens. Let's just talk about words, for example. Words become warm and friendly to us all. So it's a major subconscious roadblock for the next generation, your children or grandchildren or younger people who come to our churches To say the Lord's Prayer and use the words, Thy Kingdom Come. Now, at the time the King James Bible was translated, that was right on language. Today, nobody says, Thy. How many people would come up to you on the street and say, Hey, Joe, how art thou? How's thy wife? I mean, you'd think they were some escapee from a mental institution. Yet in church, We follow warm and fuzzy words, and the incarnation of Jesus, the fact that he came in the flesh, demands that we speak the language of the people we're trying to reach. So what happens to non-Christians if they were to be invited to our worship? It signals to non-Christians subconsciously that God and Christianity and our church are old, foreign, and irrelevant. That's not contextualization, to say thy kingdom come. But you try to change that, even with some pastors? Oh my, I've had a a rough go of it at times. But it's because these poor pastors have not ever been trained in missions. So if you really see God speaking to you in this teaching, let me warn you to be careful. Go slowly, go softly, put love first help others learn to be missionaries. And it's all backed up by Bible. So what happens is we Christians find words that have become comfortable and they become our preference. Now that's two different things because Jesus doesn't call us to comfort. In fact, the Bible doesn't say that at all. It actually gives the message very clearly that it's not always easy to be a Christian. Uh, by definition. But you see, when it's ingrained in us from childhood, we have these fond memories and these fuzzy feelings about certain ways of doing or saying things. So Jesus said to his disciples, guys, go house to house and share the good news. If they invite you in to dinner, eat what is set before you. Now, that just might sound like, okay, Jesus was there sometime. He discovered that the people were good cooks, or they had a reputation as good cooks. So, if you go to share the gospel at somebody's house, and you're you're trying to do the mission thing, and they invite you in and say, why don't you come in and have a meal? Which was very common in that day and age, in that kind of social setup, as in early Israel, And so, as that statement is made, you kind of wonder, why did Jesus say, eat what is set before you? But actually, that verse is a huge missionary verse. Eat what is set before you. Now, I've taken a lot of groups, places to South America and the jungles, in Africa, both in the Northeast and in Nigeria toward the middle and to the west and down to South Africa and Botswana and a lot of places like that. And a lot of times the African pastors will invite us to their houses. And I tell these people, don't you say a word about some McDonald's somewhere where you want to go get a hamburger. You eat what is set before you. And I want to tell you, in Africa, I've been there enough. I have eaten literally everything you have seen in a zoo. Yep. Elephant, zebra, giraffe, you, anything you want to name, I have eaten it. And, uh, and so uh, that's the missionary thing. You don't go into a person's home that you're trying to serve as a Christian as a mission person, and offend people, as long as it's a context issue, it's not a substance issue. So here is the missionary principle. The mature Christian, and that would include the missionary you are becoming, the missionary of Jesus Christ always subordinates his or her preferences not beliefs preferences for those they are trying to reach now that would also include your preferences about your children we're going to take a minute and talk about that before we close this episode right now there is this huge recent history oh the last 20 years maybe more of a massive loss of younger people i just can't tell you how many times i have been interviewing parents in their oh let's say 60s 65 in that range of age interviewing them while i'm doing a consultation at a church and our my other team members at church doctor ministries have have had the same experience And I'll I'll ask them, how long have you been around the church? And they'll say decades or something like that. And so I ask, do you have children? Yeah, they're all grown and they live somewhere else. And then I'll ask, uh, so do they go to church? And I've seen this look so long, I can't even talk to you about it without seeing the look on people's faces. I've seen adult people in their 60s start to cry just because I asked, do your kids go to church? their grandkids are not baptized, their kids don't go to church except for a wedding funeral and all the other things, like maybe Easter or Christmas, but no real sign of the life of Christ at all, and it just tears these people up. It's just awful. This is a huge deal. I'm going to share with you, using the lens of this principle of mission work, that the missionary of Jesus subordinates his or her preference to those who are trying to reach, those they are trying to reach, including your children. So let's say you've got a couple of young children, and let's say your church is wise enough to have a children's church, and that's where some people with a lot of energy and a lot of love for kids do children-appropriate worship and teaching The words fit their minds and concepts, the age of the kids, and the songs and the activities, and they are sensitive to their ability to pay attention, the time span that they are able to pay attention, and all of that stuff. They're really good at that. So it's not too hard to run into a family where mom and dad say, oh no, our kids don't go to children's church because we want our family Worship together. Now, if you're a missionary, what do you say to those people? I'm not recommending you say, well, you people are really stupid or anything like that. I want you to think about the mission principle. We want our family to worship together. Well, the missionary of Jesus always subordinates his or her preferences to those of the ones they're trying to reach, including their children. So the response is, that is wonderful. You should worship together as a family. Go to children's church with your kids, because they can't come up to your time span of paying attention. They cannot go beyond their years and understand words that are being used in the preacher's sermon but you can understand everything that goes on in children's church the more mature Christian the missionary always subordinates their preference to the less mature Christian and you know what if a generation had done that a lot more of those children would be on fire believers in Jesus today And a lot of churches are declining because they have lost the young kids as they've grown up. So that's how it works. And yes, it's not always easy to be a missionary. Hanging on to words that have lost their meaning is a form of idolatry. And actually, it guts the meaning out of faith. Uh, just uh, an example before we close. You know the Christian song, Away in a Manger? Almost everybody, I ask, that has been around church for a while has sung Away in a Manger. In fact, some churches sing it every Christmas. It's kind of a warm and fuzzy memory of our past when we were growing up. And if we didn't go to church any other time, we went Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. So here it is, Away in a Manger. Let's talk about contextualization. What is the context of a way in a manger? Well, in the song, there's a verse, and you probably know it. The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes. Now, I must have been a future church consultant, even as a kid, because I asked my, my mom, why in the world would short cows wake up Jesus? It makes no sense to me. I don't think i said it with that articulation but that's what i said in so many words the cattle are lowing the baby away. we had to learn that song because we went up front and sang it to the church and i thought this is crazy it makes no sense i mean i know enough about cows i mean short cows are not gonna wake somebody up because they're short i mean give me a break so what does that mean you know i've asked many many groups when I've done conferences, people raise their hands. And and I, I warn them, don't raise your hand if you're not sure what that means. But if you're absolutely sure what it means, raise your hand. Because I may call on you, and if you're not sure, I don't want to embarrass you. So don't try guessing or try to look smart when you're not. And so out of a crowd of 150 people, there might be three. And I'm amazed at that, actually. You see, that's Old English, and I've been to England enough times, many times, probably, oh, in total, probably 30, 30, 40 times, and uh, I know a lot of British people. In fact, my son married one, so we've got one in the family, but to say the cattle are lowing is an Old English word, and the English don't even use this word anymore. They don't even know what it means. But it's the old English word for mooing. Well, then why the heck don't we say mooing? Because we have fallen in love with the style, not the substance, to our own detriment. And so, this missionary issue of style and substance is huge. So I want you to be thinking about that. I also want you to know that as a Christian and as someone who cares very deeply about training missionaries, I love you, and I know this stuff is somewhat challenging, (laughs) but come on, man. Come on, woman. (laughs) Let's get with the program and reach people for Jesus. Amen. (laughs) Amen. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Kent Hunter's new book, Restoring Civility, Lessons from the Master, available at Amazon.com.